Episode 7 of Trans Regret Snoopy Presents the Bible. I have Maggie Siebert with me today uh, here to talk about the suicide of Judas Iscariot. Welcome, Maggie. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for, thanks for joining me. This is a topic that is um, kind of radioactive when it comes to uh, Christian dialogue um, and discussion of the Bible. It kind of seems to get glossed over. Um, and um, suicide is a very real part of, of most people's lives in some way or another. We've all known someone or lost someone to um, what is really kind of becoming, um, at the risk of sounding a little uh, melodramatic, uh, kind of an epidemic, and especially this year, given um, the isolation that so many people are are going through. I, um, I really want to talk about this in an even-handed way, um, and I don't want to romanticize it. I don't want to in any way um, make it uh, make this episode triggering to people uh, at all, but I do want to have a frank discussion about um, the role that suicide seems to play in the Bible and, and what it means because its impact is uh, really, I think, misunderstood in different faith communities or, or understood very differently in different um, faith communities. So thank you. Yeah, I'm uh, really excited to talk about this one um, because I have a lot of really distinct memories of um, specifically reading the the iteration of it that's in Acts um, as a kid in Catholic school. And so kind of like generally speaking, the, you know, each interpretation of like how Judas actually, you know, succumbs to, to death, whether it's by his own hand or some kind of, like, metaphysical process, seems to, like, really be up for debate. Um, and so it's one of the more interesting stories to me for that reason as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think it brings up all these questions of uh, possession or, um, and, you know, mental illness, as it was understood at the time. And, um, and obviously, you know, the great... Uh, the great uh, betrayal, which um, which ultimately, while it was a tragic thing, his betraying Jesus led to what was essentially the most important um, occurrence in the Bible. So, I do want to try to um, to wrestle with that a little bit and kind of talk about how, in a way, it was something that needed to happen, um, but it was um, something that was really uh, tragic and terrible. So um, we're going to talk about Acts 1, uh, 16 through 20 first. Perfect. This is the later um, description of Judas's suicide and one that I think is a lot more uh, evocative and one that's a lot more uh, rich with uh, language that is describing the, the, the actual act itself. Most instances of um, them talking about Judas's suicide are very kind of off the cuff. Um, this one digs in a little bit. For context, the beginning of Acts is the apostles, the existing apostles, coming together uh, with a, about 120 other uh, sort of followers of Jesus. 
and um, saying, okay, well, all of this really great stuff happened and, and Jesus uh, came and, and saved us and, and now we, our sins can be forgiven, but we are tasked with spreading the word of God. Before we dig into this particular passage, though, I didn't get the chance to ask you about sort of what role faith plays in your life and, and how, does it, um, how does the Bible uh, affect you in your day-to-day, or does it? Hmm. Um, you know, this one was so hard because, I mean, obviously I've, I've I've listened to the show before and I was aware that this question was going to be asked and I didn't come up with, with the most succinct response in the world. Um, but I, you know, I, um, my grandmother um, insisted that my, that my mom and I convert with her um, when I was five. And so um, I started uh, kind of like regularly attending services then. Um, and obviously, you know, uh, it went through all of my sacraments and everything up to, you know, a certain age. Um, and uh, I went to a, a Catholic school uh, on scholarship um, and it was, um, I did that for about eight years from like first through eighth grade. And so uh, like Catholicism in particular was something that was like really imbued in my day-to-day life. Um, like, I mean, I mean, in just in every sense, you know, like in, in the sense that I, you know, had religious classes that I was taking and that we, you know, attended church twice a week and um, all of this other stuff. Um, and so, but it was kind of one of those things where like I almost... Um, like engaged with it in the the like abstract like as a as a kid it was kind of just this thing that I had to do um and I never like really felt like any sort of particular like I guess like like drive or like hunger for the church and like and and you know really like more kind of generally like God um it was all it was all just kind of like something that I engaged with like mostly like aesthetically I guess Um, and and so, um, I fell off for a really long time, uh, but, but sort of continually like found myself, um, like returning to a lot of this stuff, um, and sort of like, I guess like kind of feeling in some way, and I still don't really understand like what exactly this means or what I mean by this, but like, but feeling like empty in some way without it, um, and so I'm like, you know, this at this particular point in my life, like, you know, I I'm fairly committed to the idea, you know, that like that, like I'd like to, you know, return to the church in some sense. Um, but I'm just still kind of trying to navigate like what like like what, what that would mean for me in like my day to day life, I guess. Um, and uh, I don't know, I suppose that's something we could we could get more into a little bit later. But that's the that's the gist of it. That's um it's like not a not a terribly uncommon story either. I think um there's trajectories that people follow and I hear this one a lot about people that were raised or went through the sacraments in the Catholic Church like this was something that was engaged with as a familial practice. It was something that was maybe not soul fulfilling at the time but um played a role mm-hmm. in the development of you as a person. And because it, and I think there's something to be said about like the ritual nature of Catholicism and w- why it is that so many Catholics do still feel, even if their faith isn't like 
invigorated. And even if they don't feel like they are believers in the in the um, the fullest sense of the word, they still feel like a lacking when they're not participating in some way in these rituals or or engaging some way with the church. I, it's an odd, um, it's an odd phenomenon, but it is something that I see pretty often. So that's really, that's really interesting. And a conversion at that young of an age is, is unusual. Yeah, it was, um, I, I, I don't even like, honestly remember, nor do I, do I know that anybody in my family really does the specifics of it. Um, I kind of have a contentious relationship with my grandmother. Um, but my mom was, was single at the time. And so we were living in, in, in her mother's house um, and I think I, I, I'm not like a hundred percent sure, but like, I'm not, it's, it's unclear to me how contingent like support was on this conversion or like, I, it's, it's, it's all kind of fuzzy to me. Um, but I just remember like, it just suddenly appeared in my life and then it just kind of like, didn't go away for so many years. Um, which is kind of like not the experience that I think a lot of people have because like I did miss out on like, you know, like I was, I think I was baptized when I was like seven, I think, or something like that. So I'm like old enough to remember it, um, which is which is an experience that people who I think haven't been like born again don't necessarily have. But any yeah. anyway, anyway, um, just interesting to think about. It is. It absolutely is. And, and yeah, I, it, later in life, baptisms are obviously like very much an evangelical um, Protestant kind of tradition and um, Lutherans and Catholics, Anglicans, or, you know, little C Catholics and big C Catholics are, are like, um, it's, it's almost like a a foregone conclusion that you're going to be a part of the church for the rest of your life. So it's like, let's just get this out of the way right now. Mm -hmm. And then, and then when you're seven or eight, we can worry about you starting to confess your sins because at like eight years old, you're suddenly a sinner who has the ability to like ruminate on your sins and, and confess them, <laughs> which I always thought was a very strange practice. And, and, um, uh, you know, first communion and, and, and th- there is, there's all these different steps that you're taking. It's almost like it's, um, it's like this, um, this board game of, of, of check boxes yeah. that you're kind of checking off. Like, okay, now we're going to this one and now we're going to go to this one and now we're going to go to this one. And I don't mean that to minimize the importance of these rituals. I think they're really, really important, but it is like, um, everybody has their first communion story. Everybody has their, um, their first confessional story. Everybody knows, like, I don't remember a ton about my childhood, but these very important moments were the things that I really latched onto as far as my memory. So, um, that's really interesting. Thank you for sharing uh, with me. I, I know that sometimes, especially when um, f- your faith isn't like an immediate, um, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, or oh mm-hmm. yeah, I'm a Catholic, or um, or whatever that may be. It's it's difficult to navigate um, the the spaces in between these hard and fast identities of um, Christians, and um, a lot of people will be believers in the power of faith, even if they don't necessarily have faith, you know, in the particular, um, uh, doctrine itself. So, okay, let's go back to, let's go back to the book. Um, Acts 1, 16. Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, 
who came, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. They're saying Judas was a disciple. He was part of our group. He was one of the, the core people that Jesus trusted, or at least it seemed like Jesus trusted. And um, for those who aren't familiar with the story, <laughs> uh, Judas uh, took 30 pieces of silver um, in order to lead the, um, the guards to Jesus and to capture him before he was brought uh, before Pontius Pilate and then eventually was condemned to death and crucified. So jumping back in at 18. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the field was called in their own language a keldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it and let another take his office. So two things are being said here in 20. Um, This area now of of Judas that he had purchased with um, with the spoils of his betrayal of Jesus is now this sort of like forbidden area, the field of blood. But let another take his office, which is to say, well, he's gone now. He's not a disciple anymore. We must bring someone else to um, to continue the, the 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 acts that we were planning to do. Now that Jesus has 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 resurrected, we've got work to do. We've got to spread the word. Um, when you saw the description of this particular in eighteen and nineteen, uh, he he he. He fell headlong. He burst open in the middle and all his bowels gushed out. I mean, what was your first impression of that? So I have actually like a really clear memory of reading this for the first time. Um, And uh, I I was in like, I I believe like fifth or sixth grade um, and just looking at like a study Bible. um, And um, we had we had been like discussing, you know, just just that whole uh, just all the different interpretations of this in the Bible. And so like, uh, when I was like 11 or 12, it hadn't really occurred to me that like each of the gospels kind of like represented like different tellings of the same story, if that makes sense. And so, um, like I was obviously most familiar with, with the, the, the kind of beats of what occurs in Matthew, which is kind of the more like traditional, what you imagine when you think of Judas's suicide, um, but here it's like it, the, the language, first of all, is like so arresting and like so kind of like just like horrifically violent, you know, like compared to compared to a lot of, you know, what else is described in the in the Gospels. And I remember like kind of just like like reading it a couple of times and not really like understanding exactly what was even meant by that. Um, and I guess like from my perspective, I kind of see it as, uh, like two possibilities, one of which is that, um, or, or, or three really, you know, it's that, it's that his grief 
uh, causes this kind of like metaphysical like expulsion of of all of his like his guilt um, that causes like a physical rupture in some sense, um, or that it's the 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 god sort of like wrathfully like like splits him open in in some sense. Uh, or like a combination of the two, like it's kind of the language is so descriptive and yet so kind of like vague as to the specificities of it that it leaves a lot of room for interpretation, I think. On a strictly physical descriptive level, I'm picturing Judas like essentially like jumping from a from a cliff and um, and landing maybe on some rocks or something like that that would have caused his abdomen to burst open. But it's impossible, knowing how much metaphor there is in the Bible, to not imagine this as being some sort of like the guilt that is mm-hmm. built up in him and the evil that was built up in him kind of unleashing and kind of um, like spilling out into the world as, as part of his death. This is symbolic, not cleansing necessarily, but emptying out of that evil, um, that was in him. You mentioned Matthew, which I don't want to jump back and forth too much, but it's important to, to talk about that because this is kind of a different description from what we're reading here in Matthew 27 and verse three. Judas hangs himself. Then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. They said, what is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed and he went and hanged himself. But the chief priest, taking the pieces of silver, said, It is not lawful to put them into the treasury, since it is blood money. So they took counsel and brought with them the potter's field as a burial place for strangers. Um, Very straightforward, very clear description. He hanged himself. And the, the one detail that you had mentioned that I hadn't even really thought of that is like just such a such a testament to kind of like the, how beautiful the Bible is as to like just a strictly literary text is sort of the callback to the overturning the the money changers tables in the temple and then Judas sort of casting his own money aside. Like, I don't know. I just um, it's so like kind of rich and like and and just full of like like you can really just sort of like palpably feel like Judas's attempts to like rationalize excuse and then like like purge his guilt over what he's done um it's an it's an odd urge for him too to be like uh well I'm I'm just gonna bring this you can't undo what you've done (laughs) you can't (laughs) <laughs> you can't just bring the silver back and be like, I want Jesus back. It's not going to work like that. Um, so I'm not really sure uh, what his goal was other than being like, I can't take this. I can't do anything with it. But this, again, directly contradicts what's being say, said in Acts, because in Acts, they say he took the money that he made from betraying Jesus and he used it to buy a field or used it to buy land. And here is saying he didn't even want the money. He couldn't take the money. He couldn't deal with it. He dumps it back on the elders and says, I don't want this. And even the elders are going, oh, this is blood money. We can't put this back in the treasury, which is like, well, you wanted to kill the guy anyway. So like, why does it matter to you that it's blood money? But 
I suppose that's a different <laughs> conversation. Um, which also kind of, you know, you know, begs the question, you know, like returning back to Acts, like how intentional Judas's death is um, in in the, that particular iteration of this story, because like. I, I guess, you know, and, and maybe this is just, just like an issue with my own image of the of the of the field of blood, but is in Matthew the field of blood is is also the area where Judas hangs himself. Is that correct or am I wrong in thinking that? Yeah, that's the the, the field of blood is where both where in in Matthew they're describing where uh, he hangs himself and in Acts where they're describing his bowels uh, falling headlong and his bowels busting open and, and his, his intestines kind of spilling out on the world. This is yeah, kind of no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, and, and I think that's like why I'm so like drawn to it because um, like, I, I don't know, like, like, I, I, I've obviously, I, th- I think anybody who, who has talked to me for more than five minutes is like aware of um, my interest in, you know, like, like, like the grotesque and horror and, 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 and all of those things like in art. And I think like that was kind of ultimately what struck me and kind of like disturbed me so much was like how like really kind of like viscerally disgusting like this passage is like really more so than like a lot of other things that I've read in the Bible, you know. Um, And I don't know, it just um, that that image is just so like immediately descriptive and like so impactful, just like right at the gate. Like, I don't know, just there's just so much to chew on for me. It's um. There's a lot of weird, gross stuff in the Bible. Um, not to be glib, but like I, there's a lot of stuff that they describe. It's yeah. like, oh god, like did you need to go into detail in that way? But this in particular, because Judas was such a central character to the story of Jesus, because Judas was a friend, he was an apostle, because Judas was um, he's a main character here. They have, you know, the detail is very vivid and it's important to pay attention to it because even though Matthew and, and Acts seem to be kind of at odds with each other, um, they are describing a very important occurrence and something that, um, that needs to be paid attention to. So yeah, it, it is a little nasty, I guess, but, um. It's interesting. It's a break from the, you know, from the regular. It changes the pace of things a little bit. Well, I've read. Um, oh, go ahead. Oh, well, no, I was just going to say, I think it also like, like winds up, you know, in being so visceral, like it's, it's really kind of um, like immediately like evocative of like the really like kind of intense, like physiological response that one can sometimes have to like extreme guilt. And especially like the guilt that you sometimes experience when one is like kind of grappling with like ideative thoughts and like thoughts of suicide and things like that. Um, And so like in that sense, like the idea that there is this, that there's this lineage uh, that you can, you can trace all the way back to this where people were still kind of grappling with the concept of like the feeling of guilt and like the, the, the horrible, like kind of like sickness of, of, of feeling extreme guilt is like so fascinating to me. Um, it is fascinating and, and it's um, kind of um, hard to wrestle with in knowing that suicide isn't just a part of the Bible. It's a part of the real world. 
Um, you know, this is something that is deeply ingrained into the human sort of condition is some people are wired to feel suicidal. Some people are wired to feel self-destructive. Um, as somebody who has personally um, dealt with feelings of suicidal ideation and self-harm and things like that, like personally, it's difficult to read passages like this sometimes because it doesn't not it, it doesn't stir that feeling in me again, but it reminds me so much of times in my life and seasons in my life where I really was suffering in in major ways, in ways that I, I don't even think I can fully express in words um, because this urge to end yourself is so visceral. And I didn't even betray Jesus, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even, I'm not even, uh, you know, I'm just a weirdo, you know? I'm just yeah. like somebody who who's on the margins of society and has often felt kind of, um, uh, uh, put upon by the world and, and, and kind of, um, demonized by the world. And, and of course that takes a really damaging effect on your psyche, but, um, seeing it through this lens, it's almost like you see Judas, he's, he's like repenting as soon as it happens. Mm-hmm. Like if, if you felt this much guilt, why did you do this in the first place? Well, and you know, that's almost like, uh, it's so tough, you know, because like, I mean, I mean, that's often the question that we find ourselves asking ourselves, I think, when we when we know that we've committed wrongs, you know, um, and like kind of have that that sort of instant instant remorse. Um, like, I don't know. I just um, I, I I kind of I, I, I had said I wasn't going to talk about this, but, you know, we're talking about it. Um, I, I have had uh this is definitely something that I have like struggled with for like essentially my entire life. Um, and was something that I was very much kind of beginning to understand was a problem around the time that I first started like engaging with, with this particular story. Um, and so I remember like just kind of feeling like, um, right around like fifth, sixth grade, like the beginnings of like what I now understand to be obsessive compulsive kind of thoughts. Um, but, um, at the time just felt like this really kind of like cosmic, uh, like dread and like guilt, um, that I, that didn't really have like a source and that I didn't really, that I didn't really understand. And so like, I think the, like, like Judas's immediate remorse in all iterations of this, except for the Gnostic telling of, of what occurs um, is, uh, was kind of like really, I felt really like empathetic in a sense. Um, because like, yes, while he, you know, commits like, you know, arguably like one of the greatest crimes in the Bible, um, he also like, like, I, I just, it, it's a pain and like a, and just an awful feeling that like, I'm very like kind of intimately familiar with. And so like, I can't help but sympathizing a little bit, if that makes sense. Well, Jews is human, right? Mm-hmm. So, of course, we sympathize in a way because as fallen people in a fallen world, we will inherently have moments of weakness. I don't think any of us have, like, uh, you know, seriously considered betraying the Lord and Savior and leading to his death <laughs> and crucifixion. But I think that all of us have had moments of weakness in, I shouldn't have done this, or why did I do this? Um, the... Um, Um, In Luke, uh, this is uh, 
chapter 22, verse 3, they describe this as um, the Satan entered Judas, um, who was one of the 12. He went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers of the temple police about how he might betray him to them. So they're not even saying that this was really Judas's work. Mm-hmm. They're saying it was it was Satan within Judas. And I see all these kinds of parallels of um, the the only way that people can behave in such an evil way, the only way that people can commit such atrocious acts is to be possessed by Satan, which... I find it's 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 interesting to me because lots of awful things happen in the Bible. Lots of atrocities are committed, and and it's usually uh, in the Old Testament attributed to, um, uh, like when we were speaking of um, of David and Saul. Uh, you know, God sent a harmful spirit mm-hmm. to Saul, but. Um, but in this, in the New Testament, more often it is Satan working within these people, or Satan working within temptation. Now that particular descriptor doesn't carry over into all the things that Judas does, because it's not as simple as saying, "Okay, I'm going to do this now." He actually had to come to the priests, speak with them about this, make a plan. He had to go lead the, um, you know, lead the guards to Jesus. He had to take the money. He kissed Jesus on the cheek. This is a very, uh, you know, very Mm -hmm. uh, notable um, part of the story as well, that part of this deception, part of this betrayal was um, a kiss. And these apostles would always greet each other with what they called the holy kiss, that they were very physically affectionate people. And um, when Judas finally uh, betrayed Jesus for the last time, he came up to Jesus and he kissed him on the cheek and then he was taken away. Um, but h- how do we say we are human beings? We are given to sin. We're given to, um, to failing at times. But we can't always just blame this on Satan working within mm-hmm. us, right? Sometimes it's just like we are fallen. We we aren't as good as we could be. Well, and I think like like one of the other kind of tragedies of this just on like a human level, you know, beyond like literally betraying the son of man is that like, you know, like like on a on a on a human level, which is a realm you kind of have to approach when talking about Jesus, like like, you know, Judas betrays a friend, right? Um, and like a friend's and, 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 and a whole group really that he's very, that he's very spiritually, physically, uh, emotionally like close with. Um, and so I think like, you know, like the cosmic like ramifications of what he does are obvious, but like even just on that level, you know, like, I mean, we can, we, we, we all have, have moments of, of what you referred to as fallenness, like just on an interpersonal realm as well. And so like, I think to have, you know, just like, like this kind of this betrayal happen and then to have all of these like deep seated ramifications that'll go on and on and on for millennia is just like, I, I think just kind of adds like a ton of new dimensions to his, to his guilt and, and, and sort of like how he processes that. Um, which is why I like the uh, interpretation of what occurring in Acts is like, like a like a 
like a metaphysical rupture of all of his sorrow um, rather than like a more intentional uh, like like suicide as it as it's described in Matthew. Um, but I don't know if you can necessarily like cleave them into two separate interpretations like that or if you have to kind of take one with with the other. Um, I haven't had my Bible study hat on in a very long time, so um, <laughs> I um I've I've maintained this from from the very beginning of this show that I am not an expert in any way. I'm not a theologian. I'm not a minister. I just really like the Bible. So I you know I don't think anyone uh, would uh, fault you for not, <laughs> for not being in that mode constantly. But you brought up a really good point in that um, it wasn't just a discipleship um, arrangement. They were good friends. Um, Matthew twenty six forty nine. Uh, and he came up to Jesus at once and said, greetings, rabbi. Judas would always refer to Jesus as rabbi, teacher, instead of um, like savior mm-hmm. or Lord, um, which was sort of an indication early on that there was a, uh, a tension there. He didn't really truly see Jesus as the son of man. He maybe just kind of saw him as a meal ticket, which there's like a million other passages to kind of back that up on. But um, in uh, verse 50, Jesus said to him, friend, do what you came to do. What a line. I mean, it, it was it was a friendly relationship that they mm-hmm. had, even though um, earlier Jesus said, I know you're going to betray me. Jesus said, I know that you're, I know what your plans are. And Judas leaves in a huff and goes, you, what are you talking about? I would never do such a thing. No, no way. No. They are friends. He knows Judas. He knows his heart. I mean, Jesus knows all of our hearts. So like, of course he kind of saw this Mm -hmm. coming and, you know, other discussions about this sort of like omniscient, all seeing, all knowing God would, I guess the story again, we've said this line on the show before, but the story is already written, right? So Judas is really just playing the part that was cast for him. But this closeness, this friendship was real and it was, it was palpable. And there is, I'm sure not just on a spiritual level of, oh, I've betrayed the son of God. But even if he didn't believe that, I betrayed my friend. Um, This is someone that I broke bread with, that we performed miracles together. You know, we healed the freaking sick, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Well, and, and, and bled and suffered and, you know, and, and all of those things. I mean, like they, they really, you know, Jesus and the disciples have were like the tightest group of all time. And like, I don't know, I guess it's, it's so, I mean, my my frame of reference, you know, in my in my youth when I was first engaging with this was always just, you know, like petty transgressions against, you know, friends over video games and whatever. But I do like, you know, I, 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 I just kind of the horror of like of of experiencing like overwhelming like sorrow and guilt um is just like something that has been so real to me for like such a long time um and i don't know i guess i i um hmm, sorry i just uh just kind of lost my train of thought there for a second i just it's got, all right it's all right this is a really difficult yeah, topic yeah. And, and it's one like we i'm going to circle back a little yeah, bit yeah let's to your do that discussion of the description of the um the the death of Judas in Acts versus Matthew and I've heard a few people that have tried to grapple with this this discrepancy between um, okay did he keep the money or did he throw the money back to the priest did he hang himself or did he dive off of like a high 
um, a high place. And obviously, the metaphor uh, of diving off of something, going from the high to mm-hmm. the low, and and being unburdened with the guilt and, and being burst open, is is so um, intense. But one explanation that I've heard of this, which again, I'm going to warn people, this is kind of gross, but I've heard um, one explanation in that Judas did hang himself. And he was left there. Mm. He was left hanging. So that by the point of his decomposition, where his body fell uh, from the noose, it just is the nature of the way that our bodies break down when we die, that he burst open because he was um, swollen from decomposition and that he he had fell from his noose because, you know, the skin was separating. And and the the, the eruption from his bowels was the, the final kind of stage of him kind of falling apart from his act of hanging himself, which adds a whole like new layer of sadness and grossness to this um, because Judas was married, which we know and we learn from the uh, the Acts of Pilate, which is not a canonical uh, book of the Bible, but they actually take kind of like this comical um, take on Judas's death because he was so maligned at the time. Um, Judas returns home to his wife, who's cooking a, a chicken, I think, and says, I betrayed Jesus, and he's going to rise from the dead. And, and um, his wife says, you know, that Jesus will rise from the dead as likely as this chicken that I'm cooking will rise from the dead. <laughs> and the chicken rises from the dead and, and, and wakes up. And Judas sees this, freaks out, and runs. This is like the moment in Toy Story where the, 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 the toys all come to life and Sid freaks out and runs out of the house. Like, this is Judas. The chicken is... The chicken is uh, back to life. I need to go, and he goes and hangs himself right thereafter. So, the what a three <laughs> stooges <laughs> way of finding that out. Oh my goodness! <laughs> I mean, really, so bizarre. And I can understand why something like that wouldn't have been included in the canonical Bible because it's just kind of yeah. silly. It feels a little bit frivolous. And while it is like what a funny thing, um, this uh, this description of him hanging and and being left to hang so long that he actually um decomposes while you know while being being hanged is um is really brutal and and knowing that he was not alone in the world that he was married and he had business acquaintances and things like that that he was so hated at the time that he was just left there really hurts i mean it really feels like um terrible to think about. And I don't know if I necessarily agree with that interpretation of it, um, but it is one that's fascinating to uh, reconcile the two books together. Well, and the idea that the, you know, and which kind of to me almost adds an additional layer to the, you know, every, uh, the, the rest of the disciples rejecting him, um, like immediately upon his death and saying like, okay, well, we have to, we have, we have to move on. We have other things to do. Um, like, like just knowing that his betrayal was so, uh, complete and irredeemable for them. Uh, and that it was, you know, really just this one act that, that, that ended everything for him, I think kind of adds a lot of like extra, like, kind of poetic sorrow to that interpretation for sure. Absolutely. They do seem to move along pretty quickly. Yeah, no, they, okay. they 
Yeah, um, he's dead now, so I guess we need to find a new disciple. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, they, you know, three days from then, they were going to have some some bigger things on their plate <laughs> to, be, to be dealing with. But, um, yeah, I, yeah. Um, well, and it's, and it's interesting, too, because as long as we're talking about non-canonical Gospels, um, I feel like we would be remiss a little bit if we didn't talk about the Gospel of Judas, um, which which I haven't really read in full. I know that you had said that you had you had pulled it up prior to us recording this, but have you looked into it too much? Uh, a bit, and it's interesting that it was left out. I think because it is serious, and it is um, it's not in the way that that acts of pilot bit was very kind of campy and goofy. Like it is, it seems like a fairly sober take on, on um, Judas's interaction with Jesus. There's some odd detail issues um, like Judas saying that he had a vision where the other 12 apostles were stoning him, Mm -hmm. um, which would indicate that there was actually 13 and not 12. um, And, Issues like little minor factual things like that might have been why ultimately it was left out that and like you don't want to seem like you're uh, trying to broadcast the, the, the voice of the, the, the reason why Jesus died. But it was really, I think, um, helpful in illustrating how close Judas was to Jesus. They, um, their relationship obviously is illustrated well in the canonical books of the Bible, but it's um, it's a lot more close and it's a lot more intimate and, and very personal in the, um, the gospel of Judas, which, um, you know, I, I would, I would invite in, I think overall, I think my take on, on biblical inclusion or exclusion is pretty clear. I would invite everyone to read any and all books, uh, written from that era, really the first few centuries, um, AD that have to do with, um, experiences or revelations surrounding Christ, because while not all of them were deemed accurate enough or um, uh, true enough or reliable enough to be included, they're fascinating. And sometimes something might slip through the cracks and we might not really learn a very important detail. I was just, I think I mentioned to you um, suicide isn't really discussed at length in the Bible in other places, although there, I think there's a few other cases of it. But there is a um, a book of Pilate, not the Acts of Pilate, but the report of Pontius Pilate, where he actually commits suicide after being condemned for his action um, regarding Jesus. Now, that's odd because Pontius Pilate actually tried to save Jesus. Mm -hmm. He didn't see any fault in Jesus. He didn't know why people were trying to um, kill him, but he had a hand in it, I suppose, because at the time he was in charge. And in the death of Pilate, he actually um, stabs himself with a dagger, which oddly is like kind of um, uh, parallel to... um, the death of the ruler of Judas's hometown, Moab, who was killed with a dagger. And he was such a big man that the dagger like disappeared into his body or whatever. But um, I found that like his death, it's not even like he agonizes over it. There's no dramatic, um, there's no dramatic moments of uh, considering his actions. There's no um, 
feeling necessarily that um, he's like bargaining or anything. He's just like, well, obviously I've gotten my sentence already, so let's just get it over with. Which is which is so kind of different from 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 Judas's very clear, you know, agonizing, right? I mean, like like they, you know, it's um, uh, you know acceptance versus just kind of like rejection of being able to even like kind of, you know, stomach the feeling uh, of guilt anymore. Um, and I, I, which, which, which sort of begs the question to me, I'm not entirely clear about what exactly, I know that the gospel of Judas, from what I understand in the, in the kind of minimal research that I've done um, is, is like unfinished. Um, there are, uh, or incomplete in some sense, there's like a lot of missing pages. So, uh, so it's unclear to me, like what exactly becomes of Judas at the conclusion Um, but the idea in that book that he is serving kind of a more godly role, uh, that only like he is aware of and that only, you know, Judas is the true, uh, you know, like the, the, the one who like, you know, is, 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 I, I believe he's the only one who is actually like aware of, uh, like Jesus being the Messiah initially or in the gospel of Judas, he's the only one that Jesus communicates that to. Um, mm-hmm. And so I don't know their, their, their relationship subsequently in other books, like takes on so much more interesting of a, of a, of a spin given that, that Judas does so clearly treat him differently in all the other canonical gospels too. Um, and you kind of almost have to wonder like, you know, why, why that might be. Um, and is it because they had some secret understanding um, between each other? That close, intimate, closest intimate bond that I think that book portrays as Judas being closer to Jesus than we see in the canonical books of the Bible is almost replaced by Simon Peter mm-hmm. in in the, the the gospels that we have grown more familiar with. Um, so much so that when Judas leads. Um, Jesus to be betrayed. Uh, Peter pulls his sword out and cuts the ear off of one of the, um, this is one of my favorite little bits of, of the, the story too. And Jesus goes, don't, just don't, uh-huh. just put your sword back. Um, the the uh, cutting off of the ear is so, um, I don't know if there's a metaphorical, uh, if there's a metaphorical meaning behind that, but this rage of that's my friend, leave my friend alone (laughs) (laughs) is really interesting. And Peter is taken, I think in many ways, um, to be the closest friend of Jesus. He was the one that walked on water with Jesus. He, you know, he was one of the earliest apostles. So, um, so I find that really fascinating that Judas, while it, it's like it almost would make um, from a literary perspective, it would almost make a better story that the best of Jesus's friends would be the one that betrayed him. The uh, the books kind of rewrite that in that, um, you know, Peter is the one that that is the closest to Jesus. And Judas was along the line, always skeptical. Judas was a money changer. Judas saw Jesus as um, he, he's going to be a great military warrior. Mm-hmm. He's going to take over, take power over Jerusalem. He's going to, um, he's going to instill his apostles as like this council of, of people that run area. It was all, I think, a power play to him in the way that it's portrayed in the, in the Bible. 
But um, in other accounts of this, in other places, obviously, that story is kind of contradicted. And I, I always find that really interesting. And, and maybe that's just why I like the, the the Gnostic Gospels so much is because they do lend kind of so much more of a of a sympathetic eye to a lot of these characters in the Bible that really like are kind of just like morally cast aside. I mean, like, I don't ever recall, like, in all of the years that I was studying the Bible in Catholic school, ever having, like, any sort of nuanced conversation about, like, Judas's role, you know, um, or for that matter, his suicide. Like, in the, the the sense that I always got is that, like, you know, for a large portion of the of the church, like, like, you know, it's sort of a it's sort of a deserved act, um, which, you know, to me has always kind of gone, you know, against, you know, everything else that the church has to say about suicide and what 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 becomes of suicides. But um, I, I just feel a little better in in my in my gut about that, like alternate conception of Judas's role, because like. I think there's just a part of me that doesn't necessarily want to believe that he is as kind of nakedly opportunistic and evil as he's made out to be in the canonical gospels. Um, but maybe that's just, that's just, uh, I don't know, my, uh, kind of softness coming through. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I mean, really it does make you wonder like why, why this level of guilt then if from the beginning Jesus said, I've come here, I'm not going to be here. I'm here for a good time, not a long time. I'm, I'm here to spread this, um, spread the word of God. And, but I'm here ultimately to die for your sins so that, that the forgiveness of sins can be spread throughout the world through belief in me. And, and so it's almost like it was a foregone conclusion anyway. So why does Judas feel so guilty about it if it wasn't him it was going to be someone mm-hmm. else i mean i have i have trouble perceiving like peter doing something like this or like james jesus's brother doing something like this but um it, if it wasn't judas it would have been someone else so the fact that he carries all this guilt with him might actually speak to the fact that maybe he didn't actually believe that jesus was the son of god maybe he didn't actually believe that there would be a resurrection and he thought well, I, what have I done? I've just betrayed my friend. Mm-hmm. He didn't really have the faith that Jesus would be coming back anyway. Well, and, you know, and, and that he doesn't live to, to see it um, is, is, a whole, is a whole other thing. Um, but, um, and is sort of like denied that opportunity, really, uh, denies himself that opportunity um, of like even being forgiven, I guess. He didn't know, and and maybe this was part of his guilt, is that he didn't think that Jesus was the Son of God, and so he he didn't know that Jesus actually did rise from the dead, and and as a result, there were like these magnificent things that happened for humanity because of it. So it's not like what he did was good, but he he never really got to see what happened because of his betrayal, and never and never uh, you know depending on your conception of it allowed himself the opportunity to be forgiven for what he did. Um, you know, and 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 that's an interesting thought experiment too. Just like you know what 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 would have happened if he had just stuck around for another couple of days, um, but. I don't know. Again, and you know, and that's and that's so. I, I guess um, I, I I I forgive me for not having the best understanding of your background. But did you 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 grew up Catholic as well? I did. Yeah, yeah. I grew up Catholic, and and I was sort of um, like a, a pompous atheist for about 
10, 15 years after that. <laughs> and, then, and then slowly started to just come back and, and finding a sense of purpose in the world. And, and, you know, like I talked about earlier, dealing with um, an awful lot of uh, really terrible things, you know, in my life and in my own sort of uh, psycho brain that um, faith needed to uh, be reborn in me in some way or another. It needed to happen for me. And so, so yeah, I, I, I was, I, I was raised in the Catholic church and it was, it wasn't a, a terribly conservative Catholic church, but it was a pretty, um, a pretty normal, uh, with the standard sort of rituals of the Catholic church. So I guess, you know, like, I'm curious about like what your conception of, of, of this whole event was like in your youth. Um, because I, I, I yeah, like, I, I mean, I think I had said earlier, but I mean, his, his suicide was such a foregone conclusion in, in my faith community. It seemed like, like it was, it was, um, it, you know, his death was deserved in that sense. Um, and I'm curious if you had a similar experience or if this was something that you ever even really got the opportunity to like ruminate on. You know, we didn't. We didn't really talk about. I mean, I think that the the betrayal itself was obviously something that was discussed at length, but the um, the act of his suicide was something that was very, very quickly glossed over in any of the Bible study stuff that I used to do when I was a kid. It wasn't something that was lingered on, although um, having lost a relative to suicide when I was young um, made this particular topic something that was very. Um, impactful. You know, it really affected me in a very tangible way. And, you know, even since then, uh, several friends that I've lost, um, to suicide is, um, it, it is never the right move ever. But in this case, it's like doubly so because it's like, dude, you don't even understand Mm -hmm. what you've done. You don't even get like the, the wheels that you set in motion, by doing this really terrible, awful um, thing, you've actually led in some way to the salvation of mankind, which is like a really dissonant, difficult topic to wrestle with because why would something good come from something evil? Mm-hmm. Why would something so um, so redeeming and wonderful um, possibly be a result of this betrayal? And really, I mean, like, depending on, you know, your conception of the church's conception of how how it feels about suicide, I mean, really, him killing himself is arguably, like, a greater sin, um, from what I understand. Um, And I think, like, I don't know, I, I, there just seems to be kind of a void of, of, of empathy for this situation. I think that, that, that kind of, uh, you know, sort of caught me off guard even then. And so I'm just always curious to see, like, you know, especially because like, you know, I think in the, and that's kind of, you know, the, you, you had said that it was very quickly glossed over, which was the experience that I had as well. But really, I mean, like, that's the experience that, that, that I have had with the church's attitude towards suicide more broadly um, you know, because like, it's, it's, it's this thing that you need to, you know, keep quiet, um, you know, for funerary services and, um, all this other stuff. Like it has to be like, like you either, you, you essentially keep, keep somebody's death by their own hand from the church or else they don't get, you know, the proper, the proper burial and things like that. Um, and I don't know, it's such a, it's such an, like, 
it's 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 a it's a moral like quandary that's like constantly in my head as somebody who experiences ideation you know to varying degrees and has throughout my life you know like sort of like you know what is to become of 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 those who who do this um and i guess i think that's why this story is so kind of particularly engaging to me um is because i mean it's 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 unfortunately kind of like a like a you know an ever present kind of kind of thought in my mind i guess it's difficult to live that way and um i sympathize so wholeheartedly because of of what i've you know been through personally and this is something suicide i think that the church so often gets so wrong um and and i can't again it's not really my place to say who gets into heaven or who gets into mm-hmm. hell or or what is um or isn't a um, mortal sin but I think that given what we see in the Bible, I don't think that there's any scriptural evidence to indicate that suicide is something that would exclude you from the kingdom mm-hmm. of God in eternity. I don't think that suicide is anything that would keep you necessarily from going to heaven, although I think it is a tragic thing. And I think putting that kind of hurt and that kind of sadness onto your loved ones, onto your family and friends is is really terrible. And it's and I would never ever say that it's selfish. I would never ever say that it's sinful, but it is tragic. Mm-hmm. And um, um, I hear so often people refer to suicide as a sin, and it's like, God, you're clueless. I just, how could you, <laughs> how could you possibly not understand that the mind of someone who goes through feelings of of suicidality, feelings of suicidal ideation, it's not like they're going, I'm going to do this just to prove people mm-hmm. wrong, or I'm going to do this because it, they feel like there is no other way. They feel like there is no other way out in, in the pain, the torment that they suffer in uh, either through uh, depression, bipolar disorder, through uh, schizophrenia, through OCD, through all of these different things that are not, you know, they're not the way that our brain is supposed to work. So you're not going to condemn someone who can't walk for not being able to walk. It's so wrong to to take that outright and say, that this is sinful or that people who um, commit suicide are going to hell because you don't know what they suffered Mm -hmm. through. You don't know what they lived through. I mean, have you, we're Christians for God's sake, have some empathy, have some radical love uh, for your fellow man, because you don't know what they're going through. You you need to walk with them. And, and, and I think that, you know, that the, 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 inverse attitude of that was so prevalent while I was growing up. Um, I mean, you know, it's, while you're right in that I don't think, you know, I haven't in, in my minimal studies of the Bible, haven't come across any sort of like scriptural evidence of any sort of like inherent sinfulness to, to suicide. Um, that was certainly the rhetoric that was, that was going around Catholic school, you know, in the, in the late two thousands. Um, And I, you know, it definitely kind of aided in a lot of ways to a lot of the the kind of guilt I had about experiencing those feelings at all, I think. Um, And, you know, just sort of kind of, you know, in a a broad sense was kind of, you know, sort of what ultimately kind of pushed me away from the more like structural church. Um, And just in that, you know, there is this kind of, it's, you know, we need to, you know, help the sick and help the ill and, 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 you know, all of these things, but, 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 but don't, 
you know, concern yourself with like the like physiological conditions that might lead to those kinds of thoughts and behaviors, you know? Um, and I don't know, it's, um, I, th- I think ultimately that's why this, this, this story is so poignant to me and so tragic to me because I mean, really Judas does like just barely like miss, you know, the greatest event in human history. Um, and it's because of his own, you know, his own, his own feelings that are eating him up. Um, and I don't know, it's just so kind of like cosmically tragic, um, and just feels so kind of unlike anything else that's the, the, that I've explored in, in the Bible, because it is so like, like his, his death is so kind of such a foregone conclusion. Um, and I don't know. Um, I just, I, I, I I think I'll kind of always be sort of meditating on this. Absolutely. I think a lot of churches and this is maybe their way of, um, maybe their way of, uh, of, of, uh, saying that, you know, prescripting basically suicide as this like path to hell is part of their allergy to addressing mental health mm-hmm. issues as mental health issues, as though it is a health issue, as though it's part of your physical body, um, which it most of the time is, although obviously mental health can be, uh, issues can be spurred along by trauma and by um, negative experiences in youth and things like that. Um, most churches are so afraid to talk about depression as though it's depression. Mm-hmm. Um, and so many churches uh, reduce mental health struggles as like a grappling with Satan. And um, in doing that, their only way to their only way to explain suicide is like, well, Satan won. So, so, um, so you're going to hell because this, you gave in to this, um, this urge of, of the, the enemy to destroy you where if a healthy dialogue could be had, if a discussion could be had about, look, this isn't someone that's necessarily possessed by the devil. Although, you know, Luke obviously thought differently about that. Um, this is, a, a real serious um, f- physical ailment and, and one that so many people suffer from that to reduce it to something as simple as sin is doing it uh, an injustice. It's just not fair. It's not, uh, so many people are suffering so much and um, so many churches just seem to kind of say, um, pray it away. Uh, it's not helpful. Not helpful at all, um, <laughs> you know. As 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 I learned, <laughs> but I mean, you know. That said, and it's even, you know, it's. I don't even know that I necessarily like have to oppose the idea that that, that mental illness in some way is like the forces of evil, like overcoming you, right? But like, I think it's. I feel like like you know, I I I don't necessarily have like a lot of issues with that you know, kind of mode of comparison on its surface. But I think it's it's the idea that it's a that it's a battle one even is kind of aware that they're fighting and that sort of that sort of throws me off. Um because it it's it's so, you know, all of these things when when you're experiencing them and when you're in the moment, it's the only thing, you know, like it's when when you're experiencing extreme uh, any kinds of negative emotions, but particularly remorse, um, you know, shame, like all of those things, 
Um, that's like the only, the only thing that you experience in that moment, you know, is just the overwhelming, the overwhelming sorrow and, and, um, like negativity that comes with those. And I think that like, it's, 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 it's really easy to ignore how singular those kinds of things feel, I guess, if you yourself have not dealt with that. Um, which, you know, when I was, you know, in my own kind of atheist agnostic phase, you know, was, would have just been more kind of willing to be like, well, you know, these church people, they just don't get it. Like they've never, you know, had any hardships, the struggles of their own. So how could they understand, you know, these complex feelings? But I think it's just more a matter of like how, how like individual churchgoers frame it and sort of how like the actual like church itself outside of, of, of scripture has kind of, you know, aside from just having a history of, you know, doing horribly things to the mentally ill in the form of, you know, exorcisms and things like that. Um, like, mm. you know, also just kind of, um, you know, is, is, is willing to sort of pin any, any sorts of negative repercussions from these illnesses onto the person who's experiencing them. Which is not to say that, you know, like mental illness, like nakedly excuses like sinful behavior or anything like that, because that's not obviously the case either. Um, but it really is that kind of just like basic lack of like Christian, like empathy and understanding for for the material circumstances that lead to these kinds of things that like ultimately frustrates me a lot. Um, and, and it's something that's maybe worth, you know, discussing as far as Judas too, you know, ultimately he sells Jesus out for like a pittance of money, you know, like 30 silver is whatever. Um, and it's, you know, it, 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 it makes you kind of wonder like what, what his, uh, if you ignore the gospel of Judas, what are his, what are the material conditions that push him to do something like this? Um, and you know, what, what, what would allow him to, to, uh, uh, you know, betray somebody in a sense that, that, that isn't necessarily like a satanic force and it is just fallenness um, motivated by some sort of like, like blind need for something. Yeah, it's important to note that the 30 pieces of silver was actually the cost of like a servant or a slave at that time, which is, uh, I think, interesting because Jesus was like serving people, like he was there to serve us in in his death and in his resurrection like that number wasn't insignificant in in the the numerology mm-hmm. sense but in the amount of money sense giving up selling out the son of man for what is essentially the cost of like a a household good in this time is um is so strange and there's obviously something else that was going on there now you know you brought up a really good point about the way that um that i think erasing the material realities of people's lives uh, is is a real injustice because we can never speak frankly about uh, why it is that people wind up in situations where they are where they have suicidal ideation where they are um, feeling this way unless we consider the realities of their life on earth because it's typically not um, holy or unholy things that are leading people to uh, feel this way, but the material realities of their life that can often be torturous, that can often be really difficult. And I made a comment earlier that I, I kind of want to walk back a little bit because I said you can't just pray it away. And I'm not saying that you can. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say that that religion is going to save you from that reality of, of depression and suicidality and things like that. But I 
can't say enough about how much I struggled before the last year or so with those urges and with those feelings. And finding a kind of faith that suited me, finding a a path with Jesus that suited me has helped me enormously in dealing with those feelings. And I don't say that that's a cure. And I'm never going to, I'm never going to say that it's simply just faith that will lead you out of those feelings. But I think more than anything, it was the sense of finding something larger than myself, Mm -hmm. finding a purpose that was bigger than just my own purpose that helped me kind of zoom out a little bit and realize that the effects that um, my mental illness can have are not just on me. And, And losing a couple of friends in the last couple of years really drove that home for me, seeing how they... They left this earth so mm-hmm. suddenly. They left this world so suddenly. And all of us were left to grieve. All of us were left to um, sort of pick up these memories that we had of them and um, and try to, you know, just keep living. And it's um, it's really, um, I don't fault anyone for, for, for going that way. Uh, I feel bad that they felt that there was no other um, mm-hmm. path for them, but through death. And it's really, um, it's tragic. There, um, we had, you, you had, you had talked a little earlier about, um, you know, sort of, uh, I guess for lack of a better term, lapsed Catholics kind of finding, um, like, uh, you know, you know, relief or, or, or kind of yearning for the, uh, the, the sorts of rituals that are sort of inherent to Catholicism when they grow up, um, in that environment. And I think um, kind of a key moment for me um, as far as, like, deciding to, you know, explore the possibility of, like, returning to faith and however that makes the most sense for me um, was uh, during a particularly nasty uh, bout of, uh, you know, this all of this, um, I was, uh, I had... Uh, I was in like kind of kind of dire financial straits um, and had run out of antidepressants um, and basically like induced like serotonin syndrome in myself uh, and had like a like what was essentially like a month long like breakdown that culminated in like a hospital stay. Um, But in the you know, I, I, I recall that like in the months preceding that I had reached out to um my uh, childhood church, uh, which uh, no longer goes by the name that it did, and had asked them if they had any. Um, there used to be like a store in the basement where they would sell rosaries um, and you know prayer books and things like that. And I emailed them and asked them if they still had any of those like for sale. Um, and they were very kind and um, mailed me uh, one that they had just found in a box. And I remember like, um, and it's, and it's beautiful and I have it hanging up on my wall right now. Um, and I remember there were a lot of times where, um, when these feelings would just get like so overwhelming and it would be the only, you know, thing that I could, that I could think of. I found myself compulsively praying the rosary, um, just to kind of, you know, slow the, 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 the tide of my thoughts. Um, and I think, you know, really like, like. And, and, and I suppose, you know, it's, 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 it's fine if you never come to this conclusion for yourself, but, but the idea that, um, I, I, I think like, like, I hate using this word, but like, but like modernity has conditioned us to, 
um, kind of feel as though we are, um, you know, sort of like the central point of focus in, in everybody's lives. Right. Um, and I think the, the, the biggest thing that, that, that Catholicism and, 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 and faith has, has done for me recently is sort of remind me that, that there are, you know, bigger conceptions outside of myself. Um, and that I am not, uh, you know, the, the foremost evil in the world and things like that. Um, (laughs) and it's such a simple thought. Um, but at the same time, it was so kind of like revelatory for me over the last like couple of months in particular, just, just, just knowing that like, that there is something bigger than me out there, uh, has become like, like, like such a comfort when, when these thoughts do still, you know, manage to intrude. Um, and I think like, ultimately, like that's, that's like, you know, that that's evidence that I am and, you know, kind of always have been in some sense, like, you know, still, you know, a a Christian, whatever that, whatever that means. Um, the, uh, the rosaries, uh, interesting in a number of ways because when dealing with a, a trauma or intense like a, a mental health uh, emergency the rosary has two purposes one of the um the the physical mode of repetition of speaking the same things over and over and over again focusing on a physical tactile thing in your hands and and repeating prayers has the same sort of effect as a meditation or any of those sort of centering practices that bring you physically back into your body, but also bring your mind some relief from these urges, these insane kind of like spiraling uh, urges mm-hmm. to harm yourself or to um, or to to focus on on suicide. It brings you out of those both mentally and physically. But it's also from a spiritual perspective. You are praying to Mary to pray for you. You are praying to Mary to intercede for you to God. So not only, not just are you saying, you know, Jesus, when you're praying, most of the time you're praying to God or you're praying to Jesus and you're saying, Jesus, please uh, help me and and thank you and help me. In this case, Mary has the closest seat Mm -hmm. to Jesus, right? We know this. So you're praying, Mary, please pray for me so that someone else is advocating on my behalf. Because sometimes people in particularly difficult situations in our society, people in particularly difficult positions, be it, um, you know, uh, people who are prejudiced against and in, in, uh, who are um, persecuted in, in some way or another for being who they are, or whatever that might be, often don't have anyone to intercede for them. And I think that's really tragic. And, and most churches will, will sort of cast us aside and say, um, no, you're not part of our body mm-hmm. or, or, you know, what, who you are is sinful or whatever, but Mary would right. never say that. Um, and, and you're praying to Mary, please, please pray for me so that someone else is on my side here. I mean, obviously Jesus is always on our side and we would, we would do well to remember that, but the rosary is a really, really powerful, um, prayer. That's a, that's a, that's a really fascinating story. Yeah, Thank you for course. sharing that. Um, well, I got uh, kind of weepy here towards the end, but I think <laughs> I think we've covered I think we've covered all the um, 
all the details that we set out to cover, do you, do you think there was anything else you think we needed to address? No, I just, um, I don't know. I really appreciate you talking with me about, uh, kind of a, kind of a rough subject and, and really, you know, kind of, uh, getting me back into the mode of thinking about like how, you know, faith plays a part in my life. Um, I mean, really like you asking me to do this podcast kind of had me return to the Bible in an academic sense. Um, and Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. It's 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 kind of had me thinking about a lot of other things, too, um, in a way that that kind of only tangentially came up uh, in the past. So I'm really appreciative of that. I know that this was a difficult topic to discuss, and and I think it's one that um, if this is this conversation is going to be hanging with me for a while here. Oh, that was a bad phrase. to use. Sorry. Sorry. Oh, that was terrible. I'm so sorry. Yeah, this, this will be with me for a mm-hmm. while here. Um, so I appreciate you um, having this conversation with me and 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 opening up with me. And um, and this is uh, really it's really been awesome. I uh, thank you so much for for being on. Genuinely, um, this was um, eye opening. So, uh, do you have anything that you want to plug? Any any projects, any social media stuff that you want to mention before we sign off here? Not really. Um, people know where to find me if they want to find me, I guess. Nice. Play it cool. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, well, link, I'll link, I think I'll link Maggie's Twitter on the, uh, on the notes for the episode. If anyone cares to, to find her. Uh, I have a poem again. Uh, today's poem is, um, from James L. White from his book, the salt ecstasies, The poem is called Lying in Sadness. Moon to my earth, come from some other space, so totally white at our evening meal, wearing a coat that will not last a year. I love you completely as salt. Tell the one about an hour before darkness in your room above the Bangkok massage parlor, the one where pain rises with the bread, filling you with its yeasting smell. It's dark. You exhale a fist of memory. I love you like weathering wood in a room of empty pianos. When you return to something you love, it's already beyond repair. You wear it broken. Thanks, everybody. Mm -hmm.